Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Healthy. I'm so glad to be back, you guys. I thought I was going to take more time off. And to be honest, I kind of want to because I don't really feel like I'm in the right frame of mind to be recording a podcast right now. It is Saturday, December 24th, so it's Christmas Eve. And I had a baby on December 16th. Um, so I'm like a week postpartum. But every day, well, not every day, because the first couple of days I was really fucking tired um, and just like stressed because having a newborn baby, we're going to get into it. But it's a lot. Obviously, <laughs> it's a lot. And I think for my pregnancy, like I did so much research and pregnancy kind of it's nine months. You have kind of nine months to figure it out and to just focus on yourself. You can be very selfish during pregnancy. It's just about you and the baby that's still inside of you. So it's just really about you. Um, but I don't know why, I guess I just focused so much on pregnancy that I kind of neglected the realities. This sounds stupid, but it's true. The realities of like having a brand new newborn baby. I kind of just assume like, Oh yeah, I'm going to breastfeed them. And like, it'll be fine. It'll be way easier. I won't have a baby inside of me. I'm going to feel way better. Um, and part of that is true. I don't have a baby inside of me and I do feel better in some sense, but also like it's fucking hard and stressful and I couldn't even get her to breastfeed at first. So I was feeding her formula and we're trying to get out of the hospital. We have to take an Uber home. Like it was a lot. So I was like stressed out, but a week and a day into this whole motherhood thing, um, I feel better. And I also feel like I just want to record this while it's still fresh in my mind because I feel already as every day passes that I'm already starting to forget little details. And I guess that's what happens during childbirth. Like they always say, oh, you forget the pain. You forget how awful it was because then you have your beautiful baby and, you know, it makes you want to do it again, even like you forget. And I think that that's true, even though I don't even think I really had an awful labor I'm so excited to like share the details of it today, but I'm feeling myself like it's almost like mother nature is taking over and erasing the details that I even want to remember in my head. Like it's erasing them and smudging them all together so that I kind of just remember it as like this pleasant experience, but a week out, it's still pretty vivid in my head. And I almost wanted to talk about it like the next day. I couldn't because like I had a baby that was essentially starving because I didn't know how to feed her. Um, she's fine now. Please don't call child protective services on me. But it was just like, I, it was too much. It was too much to deal with. Plus like I couldn't really sit, like sitting really hurt um, because of the stitches and what happens to you down there after. But all of that being said, obviously given the title of this episode, I really want to share my birth story today. I'm realizing more and more like I guess it always happens like this. You kind of get the things that you need, not really what you wanted, because I never really thought that I would be somebody who would like get super into childbirth or like I never even really. Obviously, I, I think most women kind of deep down, you want kids eventually. But for me, I was never the type of person who's like, that's my calling. Like, I just want to be a mom. I just want to be a stay at home mom and wife. Like it was just never really. I never felt that when I was growing up as much as I felt like, oh, I want to be a writer and I want to have this, you know, interesting, creative, successful, whatever adjective you want to insert life. Um, but I, I don't know, ever since this birth, first of all, I've been posting a lot of TikToks and like every single one is like going 
not viral, but like it's getting a lot of traction because I guess people want to hear about like an honest experience about birth. And I just feel, I feel like it's going to be so hard for me to talk about this without being self-conscious and without thinking I'm sounding corny, but I honestly feel more like empowered and grateful for my body. Like and all of the other stereotypes that people talk about after childbirth. Like I really do. And especially cause I've never really been that grateful for my body. Like I've always wanted it to be skinnier. I've always wanted it to just kind of like, honestly, I've always wanted to just be a floating head, like with no body. If I could just be that, that would be perfect. Um, but that's not a reality, obviously. But after experiencing this, I like, I feel like I'm more in my body than I ever have been. And I never thought that I would be that person. And I feel like this was literally the experience that I needed that I just, I didn't know that I needed it. And yeah, like I'm, (laughs) I'm almost like on the verge of tears, just like thinking about it. It's probably still the hormones, whatever. But, um, I want to, I want to just go through the whole experience because before I think I talked about it briefly on the last episode, Before the birth, I was told like a week out that they wanted to induce me because the baby had stopped growing. Um, I was freaking out because I don't even remember if I talked that much about the induction, but I was freaking out because I'm like, bro, like I've had a healthy pregnancy this whole time. They've the whole time they've been like, you don't need any intervention. The baby will come when she comes. You're good. So I'm over here being like, perfect. I'm going to have a natural birth, unmedicated, my water is going to break on its own, minimal medical intervention. And that's giving me some peace of mind because for me, I have watched all of the horror stories about like the cascade of interventions when it comes to birth. And, you know, you start with one little intervention and then it leads to an emergency C-section because the baby's heart is in distress. And I watched like the business of being born, which is this documentary that's a little bit fear mongering. I mean, fear mongering, excuse me. It is insightful in the sense that like always birthing every baby at a hospital forever. It doesn't necessarily make the most sense when you look at how, you know, humans have been born over the course of like the world, (laughs) not the world, but like over time, over the last millions of years, I don't know however long people have been on earth. Let's move on. Um, I sound like an idiot now, but you know what I mean? Like it's insightful, this documentary, the business of being born in the sense that, maybe we don't always need to run to a hospital to birth every single child. There are other options. Hospitals are a business at the end of the day, like everything in America is a business. And it's interesting to think about like the different alternatives and the different options you have when it comes to childbirth and what the problems might be of birthing in a traditional hospital. Like what, you know, issues might come with that of treating every pregnancy and every labor, like a medical emergency and not like a natural thing that happens. Um, to women, not like a natural thing that your, our bodies are designed to do. So I did kind of, I sunk my teeth into a lot of resources like that, like the business of being born and all of these kind of super pro unmedicated natural birthing pieces of content or pieces of media, whatever you want to call it. And so in the beginning of December, when I went for my midwife appointment and she told me like, it looks like the baby's not really growing anymore. We want to induce you. And they wanted to induce me like tomorrow. Um, I was really shocked and I was really scared and it really sent me into a panic. I had to, it took every 
every cell in my body to not have an anxiety attack for those like days leading up to my induction because it really felt like a 180 and I can't even begin to explain even though I'm going to try how much of a great experience it was in comparison to what I thought it was going to be so pretty much let me start here because I didn't want to be induced in the sense in the way that I had heard about it like for example there was a girl who I was friends with for my whole pregnancy who we had a falling out like a few weeks ago it was fucking weird um and she canceled anyway she like uh this girl that I'm friends with that I was friends with she was like this is stupid gossip but I'm just gonna say it here because it's it still bothers me because like how could someone be so petty um you know, as you do to your friends, you vent about being stressed out or like what you're worried about and you kind of hear each other out. That's what friends do. And I had listened to her vent many times, um, over our pregnancies. She had a complicated pregnancy and I didn't. So I was like there for her, um, literally ordering medicine and like sending it to her house and stuff. Like, I feel like I was really there for her. Uh, anyway. And then a few weeks ago I was like, I was like, oh yeah, like my, the baby stopped growing. So like, I'm really scared. Like I've been really stressed out. And I think that's part of the reason why. And she was like, why are you stressed out? Like you shouldn't be stressed out. You have everything, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we had kind of a falling out. So I was like, I guess you're not really my friend. If you have like no sympathy for me, no empathy, like no, no, no desire to listen to anything I have going on. Um, and then this girl, we had, we shared a Costco membership. We split it. I paid her like the $30. She paid 30. It was $60 for a Costco membership. This girl canceled my fucking Costco membership. Like, okay, cool. Like whatever. Anyway, she had had to be induced and I was there. Like I visited her in the hospital during that time. And I was, she was texting me the whole time explaining the process of like the Foley balloon, which is a kind of balloon catheter type of thing that they put inside of you to expand your cervix so that you dilate more so that the baby can hopefully come out faster. Um, and then the Pitocin and everything else they were doing to her. And she was explaining it to me so vividly when I was still pregnant and everything sounded like a horror show. Honestly, it sounded terrible. She said it was the most painful thing of her life. Essentially, like it hurt so much. She said there was so much blood, like it just sounded so bad. And I wanted to avoid that because she told me all of these things when I was seven months pregnant. So I had all of these kind of ideas of what an induction was in my head for two months swirling around thinking, oh, I at least can avoid that because I'm going to go, you know, into labor naturally. And then as soon as they're like, oh, you have to be induced immediately, all those images that she had planted in my head just grew a hundred times bigger. And I was like, damn, I'm going to have to get this terrible medieval torture device like balloon put inside of me. I'm going to get this fucking Pitocin, which if you're not familiar is the synthetic version of oxytocin, which your body releases naturally when you naturally go into labor. But the difference between Pitocin and oxytocin is that with oxytocin, that's the happiness hormone. So even though oxytocin is triggering, triggering your body to contract and to like create contractions to push your baby down into the birthing canal, Pitocin is the synthetic form and there's no happiness hormone triggered from it. It's just the part that gives you contractions. So with the happiness part of oxytocin, your body is almost like doped up a little bit and you can, it's kind of like God designed it so that you can handle the pain a little bit better. Cause you're also like getting this big dose of happiness hormone with Pitocin, the fake version, you're not getting none of that happy shit. You're just feeling the pain. So I was terrified and I walked into the hospital on Wednesday 
the 16th, no, the 14th of December, not knowing how long this induction was going to take, all I knew was that I wanted to avoid as many medical interventions as possible. And part of that meant going unmedicated, meaning no epidural, no IV meds, none of that shit, because I wanted to be in as much control as possible. As soon as we get to the hospital, they don't even really have like a bed for me, which I'm like, why did we rush here to get here at like 930 when there's not even a room? Like I have an appointment to like have a baby. Essentially, we're at the labor and delivery ward and there's like no room for me which is already making my anxiety go up because I'm like pacing around knowing that I'm about to be hooked up to an IV. God knows what else is going to be put in me. I had an experience once with an IV where like they put an IV in me and they didn't even tell me they were going to do it. And they started giving pain meds through the IV and I didn't know. So I felt like doped up without even like consenting to it. So here I am thinking like all that's going to happen again. I'm so scared. Also, like I'm going to have a baby. I've never done that before. I'm pacing around the labor and delivery ward just waiting for something to start so I can at least feel like there's some motion going on and I'm not just running through every bad scenario in my head. And eventually they put us in kind of like a holding room where they tell me to lie down. They hook me up to some fetal monitors and they just monitor the baby for 30 minutes. Um, they get me dressed up in the hospital gown, whatever. And immediately they're like, okay, well, we're going to hook you up to the antibiotics for groupie strep, which is um, amoxicillin. It's like a cousin of penicillin all in that family of antibiotics. They're like, we're going to hook you up to that. We're going to hook you up to um, your fluids. We're going to hook you up to everything. And I'm thinking like, wait, when you start hooking me up to the antibiotics, does that mean that I like only get one dose and then I'm good to go? Or does that mean that I have to be continuously hooked up to them until I have the baby? And does that mean I also have to be continuously hooked up to the fluids? Like, is this just like a, we're going to do this now and we're good? Or is this like a forever thing until the baby comes out? God knows when. And they're like, oh no we're going to just hook you up. You have to be continuously hooked up to the antibiotics and the liquids like indefinitely until the baby comes because you need to have a continuous dose of antibiotics in your system to prevent the group B strep from, strep from spreading to the baby. And ideally we like to have, give at least two doses and you're supposed to give a dose every four hours. So that's eight hours of antibiotics time. Now I'm not an idiot and I know that your first induction is likely going to take way more than eight hours. So I immediately am like, I don't want, I'm not doing the antibiotics yet. I'm not doing the, the drip. Like I don't want it yet because we haven't even started this thing yet. I don't even have a Foley balloon in me. I have no induction medicine in me. So why would I be hooked up to all this extra shit already when there is no sign of the baby coming out? And I forgot to mention that before we actually went to the hospital, I spent a week before doing absolutely everything I could to go into labor. I got a membrane sweep. I started, I pumped, which is supposed to induce you into labor. I like ate everything that you're supposed to eat that induces you the raspberry leaf tea. I drank okra water. Like I did curb walking. I did, I sp did sprints outside because I heard like that's supposed to help the baby drop. I literally did fucking everything you guys. Um, and nothing was, nothing was getting this baby out. And so when the doctors were like, Hey, we want to hook you up to all this extra shit right away. We don't really know when the baby's going to come, but you'll just be lying here in this bed with an IV drip. And definitely I was like, fuck no. And immediately from that point in the holding room, I kind of realized like, okay, if I want this to go a certain way, or if I want this to go at all in the way that I am hoping, which is like being able to move around having a successful induction, 
because one in four inductions don't even work. Like you have to go home because the baby still won't even come out. If I want this or you have a C-section, if I want this to go at all, according to my plan, which is a successful, unmedicated, you know, minimal recovery time induction, then I'm going to have to wing it and try and take the shit into my own hands. So I was like, I don't want the drip. Not yet. Um, I want the Foley balloon first and then let's see how it goes. Cause I was only at one centimeter. You need to get to 10 centimeters. So we had a marathon to run still. And from that point, they eventually moved us into the room that I gave birth in later that day. And I think me putting my foot down in the beginning, from the beginning with the first round of nurses, because you have to remember like every eight hours or every six or seven hours, I I think it's eight though, there's a shift change. So when you're in the hospital, like you might like one nurse and one doctor that you get or one midwife that you get, but they keep changing throughout the time that you're there. But every shift change, the, the nurses and the doctors write notes about you for the next people coming on, which is really interesting, by the way. I went through my notes and like, they're fucking funny, the stuff that they wrote about me. Um, they said I'm like extremely alert and like aware and that I have anxiety. And that's true. Um, the last part. But anyway, they kind of like warn the other doctors coming on essentially about whatever patients that they're about to be dealing with. But I think from that point, in the very beginning, when I said, I don't want the antibiotics yet, I don't want the, the liquid drip yet until I get the induction, until we get the induction actually started. I want to see how long this thing is going to take, how my body responds to the medicine. And then we can talk about the antibiotics and chip because I'm not about to be hooked up to 40 bags of amoxicillin. Like I'm not doing it. If I need two, we're not doing, we're not doing more than like two or three or four, like four maximum. You know what I mean? Just cause like, why would I take that many antibiotics? But uh, anyway, I think from that point, after they moved me into the birthing room, like the actual part where you give birth, they kind of knew like they couldn't really just fuck with me and tell me what to do because I was going to do it my way and I was going to do what I wanted. Being comfortable with the fact that, you know, I know it's a risk when I'm doing what I want to do. I'm not a doctor. I know that, you know, I don't necessarily know best, but I do know my body and I do know enough to feel comfortable making decisions for myself for the most part. And so as they moved us into the birthing room, first of all, it is so surreal to walk into that room because you walk in and immediately there's like this baby pad where they have everything set up, like all the little things for the baby when they're first born, just little like medical devices and stuff. And it's like heated. And there's this, there's this big kind of heating lamp over this baby warming pad area. And it says like, turn baby heater on, like everything is just kind of baby, baby, baby. And even though, you know, you're about to have a baby, it's very surreal to walk into it. And then you see your bed and it's all sterilized and there's like a big strap over it and whatever. And after we kind of got settled into that room and they came in and they inserted the Foley balloon, which by the way, wasn't that painful. Um, It wasn't that bad. Anyone who scares you with their own birthing horror stories I feel like they're just projecting and I feel sorry for anyone. Like everyone deserves to have an amazing birth, but anyone who takes their birth trauma and tries to scare you before you give birth, don't listen to those people because I made the mistake of listening and it scared the shit out of me. And the reality was when they put the Foley balloon in the beginning of the induction, the first thing that most inductions do 
when they begin is they put this catheter balloon thing in that ripens your cervix essentially from that point right after it got put in I realized I could relax it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be and that shift in my just mentality helped so much because that was Wednesday I spent all of Wednesday with this balloon inside of me they were going to put um some kind of medicine in that's supposed to further ripen your cervix they put it in at the same time as the foley balloon I, because I know I'm sensitive to shit, I asked them, I was like, can you hold off for the first hour just to see how we react to the balloon? Like, just to see, you know? And thank God I asked them to hold off because within the first hour, the baby's heart rate started going really, really high. Even though the Foley balloon, there's no actual medicine in it. It's just a mechanical device to stretch your cervix. Just with that, the baby's heart rate was like kind of in distress already. And so the doctor that was on call at the time came back in. She's like, yeah, I don't want to do the medicine anymore. Let's just let the balloon kind of rock because the baby's heart rate is already in distress. So hopefully, you know, it calms down, which it did. Um, and we can just see how far the balloon gets you, which it's supposed to get you to four or five centimeters dilated, which is about halfway through your labor. And thankfully it did get me to, I initially, they said five centimeters when it fell out. It took the whole day. I was walking around with this balloon in me. I was doing squats. It felt really weird. Like it felt like something inside of me was being stretched and pulled open and it was a lot of pressure, but it wasn't that bad. And there was a little bit of blood, but it wasn't very much. And it almost felt like you kind of knew it was a good thing because it wasn't gushing or anything like that. It was just a little bit. And it's like, we're, we are about to have a baby. So clearly if there's a little bit of blood and you feel stretching, clearly that means like your body is getting ready to have this baby. Things are changing. They're moving in the right direction. And I think in any sort of situation in life that involves pain, most of us know the difference between good and bad pain. Like just intuitively, you know, and the pain that the Foley balloon caused, it wasn't fun obviously it wasn't pleasant but it was like a pain that I could recognize as productive it was a pain that like it, it felt you know it was good we were moving in the right direction so anyway on Wednesday night the Foley balloon fell out by itself which was felt like a fucking accomplishment it was like Christmas morning the doctor on call at the time came in and she checked me and she was like wow you're already at five centimeters and I was told the Foley balloon you know you're lucky not lucky but it's supposed to take you to four. And if you can get it to four and it falls out naturally, then like, that's a really good sign. So when the doctor was like, oh, you're at five, I was like, yes, we are doing this. This is going to happen like tonight. Maybe I only have five more centimeters to go. Let's go. But of course, in a hospital setting, everything is not up to you. You are only in control of so much. You're not control of the shift changes. You're not control of the amount of staff that's in the building. Like you can't, you can't do everything yourself. This is not a home birth. And by the way, um, I didn't want to have a home birth because it was my first baby. And as much as I might bitch about hospitals, I did feel like being in a hospital setting was reassuring to me because just in case something did happen, um, it just felt it gave me more peace of mind, even though obviously I wanted things to go a certain way for my first baby. Like I felt most comfortable in a hospital setting. Plus my insurance covered it the most. So, um, it just, for me, it made the most sense. My next baby, I'm open to having potentially like a birthing center situation. If I have another kid, obviously, uh, <laughs> I guess I always need to add that disclaimer in cause I'm, you know, we know the situation. Um, but 
for this, it just made the most sense for me to be in a hospital. That's what it felt like. But anyway, there are things that are outside of your control. So I'm at five centimeters. It's Wednesday night. We were supposed to start the Pitocin, which is the synthetic oxytocin that makes you contract right after the Foley balloon, just to like keep things moving, you know, even though they say once you're at a certain dilation, you don't go backwards. Like once you hit five centimeters, your body's not going to shrink back to four or whatever. Like you can get stuck at certain points, but you're not going to go back. But I still wanted to keep things moving. So the Foley balloon's out. I'm waiting for them to come in with the drip. The nurse comes in. She puts the IV in my arm. We still haven't connected to the antibiotics or the fluids, but she's like, let's, you know, get this thing started. So you have the IV ready to go. Once we start the drip, the Pitocin, we do the antibiotics, boom, boom, boom. We get things moving. The IV is in my arm. Wasn't so bad. Once again, um, for anyone who hasn't, I mean, some people get IVs all the time. Like they're popular. It's a trendy thing now to get like a vitamin drip. So I guess some people really have no fear of them whatsoever. Me personally, I have read about overuse of IVs because I am crazy and that overuse of IVs, especially for like vitamin injections and things like that, like superficial reasons, they, it actually can like stretch out your veins and cause chronic problems later in life. So while IVs are obviously very useful, it's not something to do regularly. And it's something me personally, I don't do them often at all. I try to avoid IVs. And so I always have a little bit of anxiety going in, knowing I have to be hooked up to one especially because during labor, they don't do it in your, um, elbow, like, which is kind of usually where like the biggest veins are and where a lot of IVs go. They either do it at the top of your hand or somewhere in your forearm. So you can like move better. And again, this girl who I used to be friends with scared the shit out of me with the IV. Cause she's like, they had to try eight times to get mine in. No one at this hospital, which is she gave birth the same hospital I gave birth at. No one at this hospital knows how to do it. Like they bruised me and I'm like, fuck this shit's about to happen to me about to get bruised everywhere. They're not going to get this shit in. Like it's going to be traumatic. And no, it was fine. The nurse did it. She was lovely. The best nurse. Um, she kept coming by the whole labor. She put it in, in one go. We were good. We were good to go. She put it in my forearm. But then as I'm waiting for someone to come in and start the Pitocin, because it's not a simple thing where they just flick a switch it's like a, you know, intense medicine. So there needs to be like an attending nurse that signs off on it. And then someone else who starts it and it's a whole thing. So as I'm waiting for the team to come in and, and begin the drip, um, no one's coming and an hour passes and no one's coming. And now it's getting late. It's like past midnight on Wednesday. And I'm like, okay, well this kind of sucks because I'm guessing when they start this drip, like my body is going to start contracting and it's going to be painful. And now like, I kind of missed out on some hours of sleep because I've been waiting for this thing and I'm not going to sleep if they start the drip now. So I guess I'm just not going to sleep tonight. And I'm kind of coming to terms with that. I'm like, that's fine. Cause you know, how long could I possibly be in this hospital for? And I am here to get this baby out. So let's just do it. But eventually a doctor comes in at around just after midnight and, or like one or something. And she's like, I'm sorry, we don't have enough staff to monitor you for Pitocin right now. So we're going to just, you know, need you to like just stay here and hopefully in the morning or later tonight we'll have enough staff to monitor 
you because apparently they need one nurse for every two people on Pitocin. And that night, the 14th of December, it was like super busy at the hospital. Like everyone was having their babies. Um, like they didn't even have a room for me in the beginning, even though I had like a appointment, a scheduled induction. So she's like, I'm sorry, there's just too many patients and we just don't have enough staff. It would be too dangerous. So we can't do it. I'm like, okay, then can you please just leave me at least to like 6am so I can try and get some sleep. And I guess they had already made a note in my records that like this girl is stubborn and she wants things done her way. So just appease her or something. I don't know. Um, But they were lovely and they were like, okay, yeah, that's fine. You know, after 6am when we have another person on call, we'll start it then. Turns out no one came in the room until like, well, no one came to start the drip until later that morning. So we actually got some sleep, which was great. And if I can give anyone advice, if you're doing, if you're planning for a hospital birth, even if they want, like, even if they're suggesting, oh, we can start this later, you know, we can come in at 4 a.m., we can come in, whatever. Advocate for yourself when it comes to getting rest because they are looking at it like we want to kind of get you in and out, you know, as fast as possible. And probably you are looking at it like that too. I mean, who wants to be in a hospital room for longer than they need to be? However, if you're in labor and if you're planning on doing it unmedicated, you need to rest. You need to sleep. And even if you're not getting a deep sleep, you need to at least close your eyes and get some rest because this is like running. I don't know. A marathon is the stereotype of what people call it, but it's really one of the most physically demanding things if not the most physically demanding thing I've ever done in my life. And you're already going to get very little sleep because it's an uncomfortable environment. There's a million monitors beeping all the time in your room and the rooms beside you. There's probably other women like myself who are going unmedicated. And when they're actually pushing that baby out, they're going to be screaming. You think that you're not going to scream. You're probably going to scream. I screamed, not a bad scream, but the sound just comes out because you're in so much pain. So it's like there's monitors, there's screaming. There's just like general hospital chaos, you know, And add to that, like even outside of the labor and delivery ward, they kept saying like code blue, code blue, which I learned means someone's having a stroke in the hospital. Um, And that's just like to notify everybody, like all of the doctors and nurses on call at the hospital, I guess, of what's going on. So it's just like, it's hard to sleep already. But if you can advocate for yourself to be like, leave me alone for like three, four, five hours, just do it because that really, really, really saved me. And that was... One of the times I did it, but I did it again later on in my labor. So anyway, now we're Thursday morning, 9 a.m., 9, 10 a.m. My mom went down, got us a coffee from Starbucks. I'm feeling good. I'm thinking I'm at five centimeters. We're going to just, you know, we're at the middle of the road. Like we're going to just keep this thing going. They do a cervical check before they start the drip. And they're like, oh, you're only at four, actually. And it does. And there's a lot of cervix left, like which means um, like how a face you are when they talk about how much cervix is left, which if you're at 100 percent of face, that's amazing. That means you're ready to push the baby out. If you're at like 50 percent of face, that's really common when you're still at one centimeter. So it doesn't really mean that much. Anyway, pretty much this, the OB on call is like, yeah, you're not actually that a face and you're only at a four. So I don't know what happened. Maybe they just checked you differently. But like we have a little way to go still. So I immediately feel like I've taken 10 steps back, but I'm like, okay, well that fucking sucks, but let's just, let's, let's get this show on the road. So they start the drip, they start the antibiotics, um, one bag of them. And I'm like, tell me every time you're giving me a new bag. Cause I want to see like how much of this amoxicillin is going into my body. If you guys say I need two bags, every one bag, every four hours, ideally two doses. Then I just, you know, I'm like, tell me everything that's going into this drip. Tell me everything I'm being hooked up to. I want to know everything. 
Um, and so they do. And as the Pitocin is starting, normally the way they do it is they turn it up every 20 minutes. So you start at about a two and this is where I am going to struggle a little bit because I'm not really sure the exact like scientific terms of every dosage, but I don't know if it's two milliliters, two deciliters. I don't really know the dose, but I know usually they start pit at two and they increase it in like intervals of like one or two. So for me, they started at a two, then they would bump you to four, then they would bump you to six. And at Grady, the hospital I gave birth at, the maximum dose they would give you is 20, which is really high. Like I did not make it to 20, but the typical protocol is that they increase it every 20 minutes. So you kind of give your body time to adjust and then you bump it up, bump it up, bump it up. And it's supposed to increase your contractions more and more. You kind of see how your body reacts and then boom, you push out a baby. I told them I am not getting, I'm not doing every 20 minutes. We're not doing it because already I feel like I'm sensitive to shit. Already the baby's heart rate was going fast from just a balloon. We need to take this low and slow. And there is a lot of evidence when it comes to Pitocin that the lower and slower you do it, the lower and slower you administer it, the more success it actually has. So I kind of bargained with them. And I was like, can we try every hour? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. We do that sometimes. Like, that's fine. So for the first hour, we're at a two. I kind of laid in bed for the first 30 minutes just to see how my body would respond to it. Like just to, because I'm paranoid. I'm like, I want to make sure I'm not having some kind of like reaction or something to it. And then after that, I got up because I asked to be hooked up to the wireless monitors, which I highly recommend, highly, highly, highly recommend. The wired monitors are bullshit. You can't even move around, but the wireless, you can do whatever you want. Um, And with my IV drip, I just pushed it around because I was wireless with the the fetal monitors, Um, which side note, sorry, this is all over the place. But side note, if you are doing an unmedicated birth with with no complications and no induction, you don't need continuous fetal monitoring. But because I was being induced, because I was hooked up to this drip and shit um, and the baby's heart rate had already been spiking, I wanted the continuous fetal monitoring um, and you need it like in that in those medical situations, it's a good idea. So anyway, I'm hooked up to the monitors, hooked up to the drip. I get out of bed. I start walking with this IV drip and I realize like it's not so bad. Yes, you look crazy pushing an IV drip around your room and the hallways and, you know, wherever you choose to walk, which I couldn't really leave the labor and delivery ward, but like I could walk around outside within the ward. Um, Yes, you look crazy, but it's not that bad. I'm not really having contractions yet. I'm feeling like faint cramps that I would barely even call contractions. The monitor is picking up some contractions, but it's not really painful. And I'm realizing, okay, I can do this. Like I can do this this is going to be fine. And I think no matter how many support people you have with you at your birth, whether you have your mom or your husband, boyfriend or a doula, whatever. I didn't have a lot of people. I literally just had my mom and no offense to her, but she's not really like the best support person. It was nice to have her there physically as a comfort kind of, even though I told her to get out of the room like a hundred times. But um, no matter how many support people you have, I wish I could have hired a doula. It was just too expensive. I think you ultimately, you have to be your biggest cheerleader. Like it doesn't really matter how many people are going to tell you like, oh, you can do it. You can do it. If you don't really believe it. And if you're having doubts, like it will cause bigger problems. I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it, but you have to make that decision of like, okay, this is going to be okay. And whatever it takes to kind of arrive at that, whether it's like do Pitocin low and slow or get the fetal monitors that you want or like just set the room up the way you want it or bring the snacks that you want. I don't know. 
But for me, once we started the drip and I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. I've already overcome like so many of the anxieties that I had, like the balloon, the IV, starting this drip thing, starting the antibiotics and everything has been fine so far. That's when I was like mentally like, let's fucking go. So they turned the pit up to four. Then they eventually turned it up to six by that afternoon. Again, we did it slowly, but with when we hit six, I was having like really intense contractions and they were like, they could see the contractions on the monitor. There's always someone like watching what's happening to your body. And because they saw how intense they were, they're like, okay, we're just going to leave you at six because it seems like you are actually pretty sensitive and your body is responding really strongly to this medicine. So they let me rock at Pitocin at a six and I was prepared for the pain. Like I knew that it was going to get painful and it did, but I thought that it was normal. Like they were watching my contractions and they're like, okay, yeah, you're having some strong ass contractions, but I thought this is, you know, what's supposed to happen. So the pain kept increasing on Thursday. Like the amount of contractions that I was getting, they eventually became like one to two minutes apart. I would say the pain was like a nine out of 10. Um, By that night, I was still trying to walk around the hospital, bounce on a ball as much as I could, do squats, just stand. And eventually by Thursday night also, I realized like, even if I wanted to sit or lie down as the baby kept descending further. And as like, I kind of kept opening up more and the pit was doing what it was supposed to do sitting and lying down actually became the worst, the worst positions ever because turns out the baby's head was pressing against my tailbone. So it was like bone on bone and sitting and lying down created more pressure there. So even though at certain points I wanted to rest, I, it hurt to rest. Like, no matter what kind of resting position I, I tried to do, even lying on my side, like even just on my hands and knees, like for some reason, all of those things created so much more pressure, so much more pain that I just couldn't do it. So whether I liked it or not, I was stuck standing or squatting or kind of just leaning against something. And I actually, because my IV drip was like portable and I could move it around, Um, and there was like a handle on it that I kind of gripped throughout my entire labor because I didn't really have anyone's hands to hold. I actually broke the drip. Like, I hope they don't notice this, but I didn't break it, but it was, it's metal. And I leaned on it so much throughout my labor that I, I bent it out of shape. Like the handle now is crooked because I was leaning so hard. And I noticed like, as the hours went on, the handle kept going down and down further and further because I kept pushing it down. I was like, damn, I guess I I kind of broke the Pitocin drip, but I kept just leaning on it, leaning on like the bathroom wall kind of, cause there was a handle there. Um, and the bathroom was like one of the quietest places in the whole hospital. I realized so that actually became like one of my favorite places to go through contractions. Um, and I kind of just kept like dealing with it, even though they were coming really fast. And after they checked me, they said I was still stuck at six centimeters. So all day I had been dealing with these like really intense contractions and it only, I only progressed by one centimeter or two, I guess if I was at a four, like they said, but it felt, it started to feel really frustrating, but I still was like coaching myself through it, knowing I would eventually, you know, get to a seven and an eight and then the baby would come. And when you're at a six, that's when they kind of, I guess that's when a lot of people do request an epidural. So that's kind of when they pushed or, reminded me, I guess, that I could get an epidural still the most. Like the anesthesiologist came in a few times once. So to get me to sign the paperwork, just in case I, you know, scream for an epidural later on. 
um, walking me through the side effects and, you know, the risks and just like the protocol of what they tell you before you get an epidural. Um, and I kept having nurses come in reminding me like, oh, you can still get the IV pain meds, which are fentanyl. That's what they give you, which is crazy. And I just didn't want to take fentanyl, um, at all, especially because in an IV dose, apparently it only gives you 30 minutes of relief. So, okay. For 30 minutes, you feel high, but I was guessing after that, I would probably just want to take another dose. And I just didn't really know how that was going to go. I didn't want to be like doped up and I didn't want to give my baby fentanyl, but anyway, I'm stuck at a six. They keep suggesting this fucking epidural, which by the way, an epidural also has fentanyl in it. I think it's like 30% fentanyl. Um, but I'm still like, no, I want to stand. I want to move. I believe that moving is going to help me through this process, even though I'm stuck at this six, like, and there was a minute where I started, I was on TikTok and I, I watched these, I searched up like epidural helped labor. And it was all these stories of girls saying that they got an epidural because, you know, they were stuck at a certain dilation and within 30 minutes they went to a 10 and they had their baby. And I started thinking like, what if that is me? What if the thing that's actually stopping me is the fact that I'm not getting this epidural? Maybe I should just get it. And it wasn't even because I was in pain, which I was in a lot of pain. It was because I was like deluding myself kind of into thinking and maybe this is what will help me. And I just want this to end like kind of as fast as possible at that point. Cause I was like this fucking hurts. Like, I don't know how much worse this is going to get, but this is bad. Anyway, I didn't get the epidural. I kind of realized like, okay, Claudia, no, for nine months, you've been saying this, how you want something to go like smarten up, sober up here. Like we're not doing this now. Stick to the plan. Like try to stick to the plan and see how it goes. So they keep it to keep the thing at a six. I'm keeping, I'm continuing to walk around as much as I can. By this point, it's like, one or two in the morning. And because I had spent so much time in the bathroom, like leaning on the wall, I realized hot water would probably help a lot too. So I'm already naked from like the waist down, but I'm strapped to the fetal monitors and I get in the shower in like a really sad shower. Cause I can't get the fetal monitors wet, but I'm holding the, like, it's like a removable shower nozzle. So you can hold it and, you know, put it around your body. And I'm, I'm holding like kind of the wall to lean against and then holding the shower nozzle in the, my other hand on my back, because that's where I was feeling like the most pain at that point. And I just, with like the water scorching hot, and I just kind of stayed in the shower for a couple hours with the water kind of half on me, leaning against the shower, breathing through my contractions for like until like two in the morning. Um, and my mom is still in the room also, like in the actual room, everyone gets their own bathroom. And after a couple hours, like the water is helping, but I'm just feeling like this is not... Like, I, I don't even feel like I'm making progress. This is just like extremely painful. And I'm kind of starting to be like scared. And I don't know if it's the antibiotics that I'm continuously hooked up to or what, because at that point they'd given me like two doses. Um, but I'm just thinking like, this is, this doesn't feel like something in me was like, this doesn't really feel right anymore. I don't really know what's going on, but like, I don't like this and I don't really know how I'm going to keep doing this. Cause I literally can't like I can't sit. I can't lie down. Like I'm in so much pain. I'm still at a six. Like, I don't know how I'm going to fucking do this. So I get out of the shower and I'm just starting to have like more doubts that come into your head because they just, they come, you can't stop them. They come and the doctors come in and they're like, how's everything going? Just checking on me. And I'm like, honestly, like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but like everything kind of feels like it's going downhill. Um, also my, my 
wireless fetal monitors were dying. So they strapped me to the wired ones while the wireless wireless ones charged. And I was like, this fucking sucks because now I can't even move around and sitting is the thing that hurts the most. So like, I feel like I'm in hell right now. And I told them, I'm like, this is hell. Like I can't even move when I'm strapped to these fucking wired monitors. Like I was just so upset. And that's when she kind of broke the news to me. She's like, okay, well, um, we actually like the baby's heart rate is in distress again. It's dropping like every contraction. We kind of see it fall and it's, it's concerning. Like we've been watching it for the last couple hours and we don't like the direction that this is headed in. Um, and I'm already bitching about my monitors and my pain. And then she's telling me this, you know, really bad news. And the worst news really, because when the baby's heart rate is in distress, which happens often from Pitocin, that is the thing that leads to an emergency C-section the most. So she's like, immediately, she's like, we're turning the pit off. She's like, we're going to do a bolus thing, which is like when they flush you with a bunch of fluids, they hook me up to this big ass bag of IV fluids and they, they flush it really fast. So you feel it in your veins, like really, really cold. And it just felt so awful. She's like, we're just, you know, to hydrate the baby and you, and like, we're just going to let you rest for 15 minutes but I'm still getting terrible contractions even after, after they turn the pit off. Cause it's not like they turn it off and your body's just like, Ooh, magically I'm back to normal. It's still contracting. It's still running through your veins. Um, and your body is still naturally now taking over to contract on its own for the most part. So I'm still having really bad contractions after they turn it off. This bolus shit is running through my veins. I'm freezing cold. I'm half lying down. Cause I'm just like, I have to rest and I'm exhausted, but it hurts to lie down. And I'm thinking like the baby's heart rate is like dropping. Like, this is so scary. Like, this is exactly what I wanted to avoid. And I knew something was wrong, but like, I didn't know what. And I'm just thinking like, how can I, like, what can I do to like help this get better? Because this is literally the exact situation that I wanted to avoid. So they come back in like 20 minutes later and they're like, okay, we want to restart the Pitocin. And at this point it's like almost three in the morning or something like that. And I'm like, I look at the nurse and the doctor, I'm like, turn it off for the night. Like I can't, I'm not doing it tonight. Like you have to just turn it off. Let me sleep again. And I, I kind of like advocated for myself. I was like, I need to sleep for tonight again. And I don't, I don't think we can turn it back up the pit right now. Like I need to get this out of my system. I would rather have this induction continue to go slowly than have the baby's heart rate keep dropping. Like clearly we need a break. We need a fucking break. So they turn it off for the night and I'm still hooked up to the fetal monitors. And I just want to insert a quick side note. I forgot to mention this part, by the way, the first night that we were there, cause this is the second night, right? That we're hooked up to the pit. The first night they didn't hook me up to it cause there weren't enough people. I wanted to take the fetal monitors off because I wasn't on any medication yet. The only thing they had done was the Foley balloon, which isn't medication. Um, and some people get the Foley balloon and they go home with it and they come back like a few days later after it falls out. But anyway, I wasn't on any meds. So I asked to take the, the fetal monitors off so I could rest better because they're uncomfortable and they beep and they're just annoying. And they actually made me sign like a liability waiver, that, which was pretty much a death certificate attesting to like, if my baby dies, it's my fault because I took the fetal monitors off, which was fucking crazy. Um, so that was the first night I forgot to mention that, but I just signed it. Cause I was like, I believe that, you know, I need to rest and I believe this is the safest option for both of us. And I hadn't been on any drugs yet, but the point is you really have to advocate for yourself. So the second night I'm like, please, no, let us rest again. Like just keep this thing off. 
the bolus fluids are finally flushed out. I even asked them to take the, to turn, stop giving me the antibiotics. Cause I'm like, clearly this is going to take longer than we were expecting. And I've already done like two doses and I'm probably going to still have to do two or three. So I'm like, just, can you just turn everything off except the fluids and just let us rest? So they did that. And they came back in eventually, not even that early in the morning, someone came in at around 8 a.m. to restart the drip. And I was feeling a lot better. Like I actually was able to sleep, even though I was still having contractions. It just, they were so much more faint and better than the Pitocin contractions. They started to be more spread apart. But I knew now on Friday morning, first of all, I knew I wanted to have my baby because I was like, this has been a long ass process. Like, Wednesday, Thursday. Now we're going on our third night at the hospital. Like I am tired. I don't like being here. The food is terrible. I haven't smelled fresh air. Like it's impossible to really rest. I had gotten a total of maybe like, I don't know, probably six hours of sleep in total over the two nights that we had been there already. So I'm feeling exhausted, even though I still have the adrenaline of, you know, knowing I'm going to have a baby, but it's just like, it's starting to wear on me, you know? So Friday morning, they restart the drip and I already know I'm like, I want it at a two. I don't want to increase it anymore. I just, we need to see how I respond at a two. So they started at a two and they leave it. And again, they would have increased it, but I told them like, no, we're not, we're not increasing it. And I'm so grateful I did. So we keep the two going. I immediately, I'm like, okay, I have to rally myself because I can't just be in bed here sad. Um, because the baby's heart rate did start to look better. So I'm like, I have to just, let's, let's go. Let's do everything that I said I was going to do. So I start walking around the hospital, doing a lot of squats, like dancing damn near. Um, I'm listening to music. I'm trying to like get myself in a good headspace. I'm listening to a podcast that I like. I'm trying to just like tune everything out and like be happy and move as much as I can. And it actually worked because by noon they checked me and I was at like, I forget, like a seven or an eight or something. And so they were like, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and they're like, you're gonna have your baby soon, like probably in the next couple hours. Cause by the time you're at a seven, that's technically when you're in like the transition of labor. And that's supposed to be the fastest phase of labor. Obviously everyone is different and your first baby is supposed to take the longest. But once you hit seven, most people progress really quickly to a 10. So I was at like, I can't remember, it was a seven or an eight. And they're like, you're gonna have this baby soon. And but once I got to an eight, um, I was like doing like laps around the maternity ward with my IV. Like I was bust, like walking, going like everywhere. And the contractions still were not as bad as when I was stuck at a six and the Pitocin was turned up to a six. Um, that like the night before when I was in the shower, those were excruciating. I don't know what was going on. Clearly the baby was in distress too. Those were really bad being stuck at an eight. My water also had, they, we thought broken because they, I, had, I was like leaking fluid and they tested it. They're like, yeah, this is amniotic fluid. So I was just like, let's, let's go. And I think maybe the adrenaline finally kicked in properly because again, the pain didn't even feel as bad as it did the night before. I was just like ready to grunt through it and go. Then they check me and they're like, okay, you're at a nine and your fluid is like, has been broken apparently. So, or like most of your fluid broke. So, um, good. Like you're, I don't know, we're going to have this baby soon. Like most people don't get stuck at a fucking nine. Like who gets stuck at nine centimeters? Nine centimeters is when you start to like really feel the pressure and you really know your baby is coming soon. Bitch. I got stuck at nine centimeters for like, I think five hours. Like I was, I couldn't progress beyond nine 
to the point where there was a shift change and there were a new group of OBs that came in and she checked me again because she was just like, I just want to make sure you're really at a nine because like most people when they're at a nine, they're like, you, they can't speak. They're in so much pain and I'm still kind of walking, squatting, doing everything I was doing at a six and it just doesn't really make any sense. So she checks me. She's like, yeah, you're at a nine, but like, you know, we might have to turn the Pitocin up because like, if you want to get this baby out, clearly it's not coming out. So I'm like, okay, just give me like, just give me a few minutes just to kind of see what's going on. I go to the bathroom. This is when things get crazy. And thank you for following to this point because I realize I'm probably not telling this story in the best way. I'm tired. I'm a week postpartum. Like, I don't, I didn't write any of this down. I'm just telling it from my head and from what I remember and just, you know, anyway, whatever. I go to the bathroom because I feel like more pressure. And they always say like, when you're about to have your baby, it feels like you need to shit almost like it does. Um, and I just am feeling like more and more pressure. I feel like maybe I just need to go to the bathroom. I don't know. And as I'm sitting on the toilet, I'm sorry, this isn't glamorous, but it is what this is real. As I'm sitting on the toilet, I feel something like hanging out of me, like not like my baby, like something is hanging out and I feel it. And I'm like, it's like soft and it feels like a head. And I'm like, bruh, is my baby's head dangling out of the toilet? Like what is going on? So I pull and I, cause it's like, there's something coming out of me. And I thought obviously like when your baby's head is crowning, when it's coming out of you, like you're in, you feel it, but I don't really feel that much pain. I just feel like what I think is a head coming out of me. So I'm screaming, like, I need a nurse. I'm like, mom, call a nurse. My mom is still in the other room. And I don't want to hit, like, there's an emergency button on the, by the toilet because I guess this stuff probably happens. It happens. But I don't want to hit the emergency button and, like, sound the alarms. But I'm like, mom, I need a nurse. Like, get a nurse in here. So my mom is, like, just try like trying to call a nurse but she doesn't even know how to use the fucking phone to call the nurse and I'm like screaming at her I'm like just press the nurse button like oh my god so anyway it was chaotic eventually she figures out how to use the phone um a nurse comes in and she's like where are you I'm like I'm in the to- I'm on the toilet like can you please come in here and she looks and I honestly they've I, they've seen it all they've seen it all when you are a laboring woman it's a lot that goes on so she comes into the bathroom with me she checks me like on the toilet because if the baby's head is actually about to come out like I shouldn't stand up and the baby falls into the toilet like we need to be very careful here so she pretty much like does a cervical check or like checks me sitting on the toilet and she's like that's not a baby but there is something coming out of you I'm like what is coming out of me like is it an organ like what the fuck is happening to me right now she's like I don't know we're gonna get a doctor in here and they're gonna see like what it is so they get the the OB on call at the time who had just checked me and said yeah you are at a nine but like I don't know what's going on um they come in they look at it they're like this is a sack of fluid I'm like but my water already broke so what is this sack of fluid also relieved I'm like okay I'm glad at least like my intestines aren't hanging out of me because like that's what it felt like it just felt so weird like your insides are hanging out nobody wants that nobody wants that feeling so she's like this is a sack of liquid this is your this is your amniotic fluid um I'm like that's super weird because I thought my water broke anyway we decide to break the fluid and the other OB on call she's like well we might still need to turn up the pit and I'm like can we just break the fluid and then take it from there see what happens maybe I'll progress naturally. I don't want to keep like, I'm just now at this point after the baby's heart rate started dropping from the Pitocin, I'm so careful. I'm just wary of turning it up, you know? So I'm like, listen, 
I'm talking to these doctors. Like I'm the doctor. I'm like, we're going to break this water sack and then we're going to see what happens. And they're like, okay, fine. Like if that's, you know what you want to do. And I kind of had this feeling like, I feel like breaking this, the water is what's going to make me have this baby at this point. It's like nine o'clock on Friday night. So I'm like, better tell these, these doctors what I want, because I've never seen these OBs in my life for the last three days. It's all the doctors that I like all the doctors I've become familiar with the, the midwives that are on call during the day. They're all midwives that I've met through my appointments at the hospital. Everyone else at this point I'm familiar with, like, cause we've been there. It's our third day. Like, the doctors keep rotating. I kind of start to know people's faces. I kind of start to know people's attitudes and just like we start to develop a dynamic. These two doctors that come in on call on Friday night, brand new, never seen them in my life. These two white ladies, one of them was like kind of German. I think, I don't know, never seen them before. I'm like, who are these women? Like, why can't I just have somebody that I know or that I at least recognize that's going to deliver my baby? I'm like immediately sizing these two women up. Like, can I trust you? Because I feel like this is about to happen. So in that time where she's like, this is sack of water, the other, the other doctor comes in. I'm like, listen, okay, this is what I want for my birth. I want delayed cord clamping, which allows the baby to absorb all of the blood that's in the umbilical cord. It's super good for them. Um, just like all the extra, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stem cells and nutrients and stuff that are in the umbilical cord all the blood there, the baby absorbs it. If you delay cord clamping, which apparently it's standard protocol to delay for like 30 seconds in hospitals. But I'm like, I want two minutes as long as everything looks good. I want the cord to be completely white. So the baby has absorbed all of the blood, um, before you cut it. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to push on my back. I want to push either on my hands and knees or like squatting or something. I don't know, but like, I'm not pushing on my back and I'm kind of giving them everything that I want for my birth because we've never met before and I'm about to have a baby and I'm very specific. (laughs) And the one OB tells me like the last thing you want to hear, she's just kind of like that standard OB language that they use. They're like, well, you know, okay, we're going to do everything to get you and baby here safely. And if that means a C-section, then, you know, we're just going to, we're going to try our best to just get you and baby here safely. And I'm like, bitch, that's, I don't want to fucking hear your C-section bullshit. We are doing this naturally. I did. I got to nine on my own. I'm pushing this baby out and you are going to like, maybe not help me, but you're going to support me in that because we're not talking this emergency C-section bullshit. No, I'm not even letting my mind go there. We're doing this the way I want to do it. Obviously, I don't say that to her, but I'm, I'm like, okay, we're just going to like break my water and see what happens. Like, cause in my, and in my mind, I'm saying everything I just said to you guys. Anyway, the one of them, one of them, she breaks the sack. I'm lying on the bed when she breaks it between contractions and the gushing. It was like an ocean. Like, I don't know where this liquid came from because I'd been leaking liquid all day. So like that's they say, oh, some people just like break their water. It's like a trickle and some people it's a gush like everyone's different. So I'd been I thought I was the trickle kind. I thought it was just coming out of me. No, the water went everywhere. It was on the floor. It soaked the entire bed. The OB had to like jump back from the bed. It was, it was so much to the point where like, at first I was like, oh, it won't be that bad. Like whatever. They like called cleaning right away. Like it was, it was everywhere. I had to get off the bed because I was soaked. My dress was soaked. I took my dress off. Like it, it was everywhere. Anyway, after that, I pretty much went into the pushing stage. I guess what happened was the liquid was like cushioning the baby by that one centimeter or something. And once it was gone, the baby just dropped and I immediately felt like, okay, it's time. Like it is, it is time. Um, by that point, I guess it was like 
9.45 or something like that. And the nurse that was on call, thank God that night they gave me a good nurse because every patient is kind of assigned like a nurse for night shift and day shift, I guess. But you never really know what nurse you're going to get. The nurse that they gave me, she was amazing. I guess they like the one, I don't know. They knew I was going to have a baby. So they gave me a good nurse, but the nurse that I got on Friday night, she was so professional, so on it. Just, I, she literally, God sent me like her. She was, she was an angel. I'm so grateful. Cause if it was another nurse, I don't even think I could have done it, but I'm calling for her. She's coming in. She's kind of looking at me. I'm starting to get contractions to the point where I'm like screaming slash grunting, which I haven't done at all throughout the rest of the labor, just been breathing, but it's to the point where I can't stop. Like I didn't think I would be like a loud laborer or whatever. Cause I'd like studied hypnobirthing and like the breathing techniques and, you know, expending too much sound like while you're in labor and yelling too much is a waste of energy and whatever. But it's to the point, like I can't help it. I am, I sound like a wolf. I sound like I'm assuming, I don't know, like I'm laboring in the woods alone and nobody can hear me. It's like, I don't care who hears me. It has to come out. And the sounds that I was making honestly were helping with the pain, but the pain was so intense. It was like my mind left my body. Literally. It felt like I was like lifting myself up while trying to relax into the contractions because the pain was, as I'm describing this, an ambulance is going by, but because the pain was just, it was otherworldly. My mind left my body. I'm howling. And immediately the nurse that it was there with us, the one that I had that night, she's like, okay, this baby is coming. So she calls for the OBs. All of the doctors kind of flood in. Cause I guess when there's a delivery, like everybody's kind of there. Um, so the, the two OBs, several, several nurses, I think there were five doctors in total. I don't really know. I couldn't, obviously I didn't like take a good look at everybody. Cause I'm like in the throes of labor as everyone's flooding in the OBs are kind of, I feel like they underestimated me. Cause they're like, okay, we can do some practice pushing. And I'm like, no, this baby is coming out. Like we need to figure this out now. And they check, like they check me, they do a cervical check while I'm standing up actually. Cause I refuse to lie down cause I'm stubborn and it hurts lying down hurts cause the baby's head is still on my spine. Um, or it had turned a bit, but it was like, I don't know. It just still really hurt. So they do a cervical check standing up and they don't even need to check me cause they feel the baby's head. Like they put their, fi- their hand inside of me and like the baby's head is right there. I'm standing up and I'm like, can I please push this baby out standing up? Cause like, I can't get into this bed right now. And they're like, they start putting like um, a pad, like a mattress kind of between my legs on the floor, just in case the baby falls out that way. And they're like, okay, well you can, like you can, if you need to, but can you please try and get onto the bed? And I look at them, I'm like, I'm either going to like shit on the floor or this baby is like going to like come out of my butt. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get into this bed. It's not happening. Anyway, eventually I get into the bed just cause I know that pushing on your hands and knees is the safest position. Like it's the position that allows it there's the least likelihood of your baby getting stuck or like a shoulder or something getting stuck when you're pushing on your hands and knees so they're kind of like just get on your hands and knees if you can so I eventually get into that position we start pushing and immediately I'm like I'm kind of my mind kind of returns to my body and I'm like wow this is actually happening like I'm actually having a baby I don't know what time it is I don't know who's in the room I know that I'm fully exposed hands on my hands and knees well, I'm not butt naked. I'm wearing socks. I'm wearing fuzzy socks with grip things on the bottom and a sports bra, but nothing else. I'm like leaned over at hands and knees pushing. Everyone can see everything. Obviously it's birth. So it is what it is. But immediately as we start pushing, like the baby is just like right there. And I feel like it's such a weird feeling. 
other moms who've experienced this, especially like an unmedicated version, you know that like it kind of feels like the baby's head is out before it's actually out because it kind of comes out and then it goes back in like with each contraction. So I didn't know that because thank God I didn't have any unnecessary interventions. Like it's not like I had, you know, I don't know, an epidural. So I couldn't feel the contractions or like an episiotomy where they cut you a bit to get the baby out more and the baby's heart rate still looked good. So like there wasn't really that much for the OBs to really do. Thank God. So I didn't know I was going to have like a chorus of people around me just saying like, push, push, push. It was so annoying that as soon as I kind of came to and realized, okay, this is happening. All I hear, cause I can't see anything. Cause my, I'm hands and knees facing the wall. And then there's a team of doctors behind me staring at my butt All I'm hearing from all the doctors is like, okay, push, push, push. They're telling me when to push, but I'm feeling my own contractions because I'm not on any meds. I know when to push. You push through your contractions and they can see the contractions on the monitor, but there's a slight delay. So they're not even telling me when to push the right at the right time. So I'm trying to tune them out and just listen to my body as much as I can. But it feels like the baby's head is out already, even though it's not. And they keep being like, it's not out. Keep pushing. And the only saving grace I had was the nurse that they gave me who was like kind of right beside me and actually coaching me when to push in a calm way and was like listening to my body also. And when I didn't want to, like she kind of, we worked together and she kind of was on my rhythm, but all the other OBs and the other doctors in there, everybody's just saying like, push, push, push. And it felt so futile. Like the way that they were saying it, I said this in a TikTok, but like, it felt like they were just like my high school volleyball coach or something where it's like, you, it's like what they're saying doesn't even matter because it just felt so feeble and dumb. And I just wanted to tell them all to shut the fuck up. And I actually did at one point. I'm like, it's not helping when you're just telling me to push. I know when to push, but of course they still said push, push, push. So if I can give anyone any advice, I will include this in my, if I haven't, you know, my next birth, don't put it in your birth plan where you only want one person to tell you to push. I didn't even know that it would be like that, honestly. And it was so annoying. Cause I'm like, I'm about to have my baby. And my biggest memory is this chorus of off to out of tune, off pitch, off key voices saying, push, 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 like shut the fuck up. Side note. Also, I had been playing music, um, before all the doctors came in. Cause I just needed something to take my mind off it, like the pain and keep me in a decent mood. So I'm pretty sure like whatever is in my recent likes, um, on Spotify was playing while I gave birth. It might've either been Drake and 21 Savage or like, maybe let's see I feel I don't know might have been like young Dolph I don't know some random shit was playing um because it was just like my recent likes (laughs) it might have been like a random no cap song I don't know but um there's like random rap from an iPhone playing in the background I don't even log what song it is because like it's just too much going on and then all these like lady doctors being like push 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 it was it was just bizarre but I only had to push for like five minutes. I, it was not more than that. And my mom confirms it. Like it was really very short. And I think the doctors were surprised because they went from being like, let's do some practice pushes to like, this baby is fucking here. And all I can say to anyone who's scared of pushing or kind of not sure what to expect. I was really scared of the ring of fire, which is like when the baby's head is kind of at the maximum outage, like when it's crowning and you kind of just have to breathe through it. It's like when you're being stretched to the maximum essentially. And it feels like you're being like everything is burning down there. It really didn't last that long. And compared to the pressure of the contractions coming and the baby descending through the birth canal, the ring of fire wasn't 
it wasn't, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. And it was so short lived that it was barely memorable compared to the whole experience. So it's really not something to be afraid of, in my opinion. Um, I regret even like fixating on it because it really wasn't that bad. And as far as after you kind of, the rest of the head pops out, the body comes, came out in like a second. Like it probably helped that my position, cause that's the best way for the body to not get stuck, the hands and knees, but they, it just came out to the point where I had to turn around. I'm like, wait, is the baby out? And they were like holding her. It was so fast. It happened so quickly. And I'm very grateful that I didn't have to push for a long time. But afterwards is when kind of like all the chaos begins in a sense because now there's all these extra things they have to do again I was kind of fearful of birthing I, I, I sound like I'm scared of everything but after the baby comes out obviously they have to get the placenta out and there is a risk with that because that's when you can kind of hemorrhage um which is when you lose too much blood because when they take the placenta out it's attached to you so essentially you're leaving like a gaping wound inside of you which um doesn't sound great to me and I was I didn't want to hemorrhage like that's really scary even though like you're at a higher risk of hemorrhaging if you have in the past and you know, all these things that you could have had in the past, which I didn't have any of the risk factors, but still it can happen. So I was kind of scared of them taking the placenta out. Cause I've heard that some doctors like yank it out. So as soon as the, the baby is like out, right. The umbilical cord hasn't even been cut yet. And I'm looking, I'm already trying to control the situation. I'm turned around. One nurse is like holding the baby while I'm still hands and knees. And I kind of half turn. There's blood gushing out of me. I'm like, don't cut the cord yet. Don't cut the cord. I watch the blood from the umbilical cord, like get slurped up by the baby. I watch it turn white. And it was like, probably took about two minutes. And finally they're like, okay, yeah, everything looks good. Um, Cause they wouldn't have let me do that. If nothing, if the baby was like, a, you know, a, a certain color or like if something was wrong, but they let me kind of go the two minutes, I watched the blood get drained into the baby. And then they're like, okay, who wants to cut the umbilical cord? And my mom is sitting there in the corner of the room. She's like shaking and shaking more than I'm shaking. I'm like, mom, just do it. Like, I would rather you do it than someone else. So she's like getting up. She's like, I can't. <laughs> so eventually she cuts the cord. I'm able to turn around. And that's when they deliver the placenta. It didn't hurt, by the way. I, I regret fearing that. I was, I was like, don't pull it. Like, let me just get, like, I, we kind of worked together with it. And I think they knew that I just didn't want them all up in there. And it just kind of fell out. Like, it felt, it felt like a big blood clot. And the way I described it in, on TikTok, it was like a big steak that you pushed out. But compared to labor, it was literally nothing. It was so mushy. And it was nothing. Um, and after the placenta came out, there's just so much blood that comes. I didn't hemorrhage, but still there's a lot of blood and they, they kind of, I don't really remember in what order, but I know they kind of cleaned up some of the blood and then I tore in one place. Um, I think I tore in other places though, that they didn't see or something. Cause I'm having like, there's some issues a week later, so I'm going to have to figure that out and go back to the doctor. But um, and the moment they, I tore in one place and then they said I had like micro tears in other areas that would heal but it's like a snap decision. They're like, okay, we're going to stitch you up. Do you want IV meds or like an injection of like lidocaine or something? And I didn't even really think like they didn't even offer like or nothing. So I was like, I guess I'll just take the injection, like the shot of lidocaine because I don't want the IV meds. So I'm just like, just give me the lidocaine. So they, sh they numb the part that I tore out with lidocaine. They stitched me up. It was only a first degree tear. So that's like the best one you can have. It's like the least serious one. Um, they stitched me up and then after that, they kind of start like pressing on your stomach. They started pressing on my stomach. You feel like a squishy doll or something. Cause the more they, when they press on you, more blood gushes out. 
Um, and then they give you your baby. And I honestly don't even remember the order that this went in. They give you your baby to have for an hour of like golden time, skin to skin. But a nurse also comes in and asks if you want the vitamin K injection, the hep B injection, the erythromycin eye ointment. They start like a baby's bath. They try and get the baby to latch to breastfeed all within the first hour. And it's really a lot. It's really a lot because you're like, I was shaking after giving birth. It's like just a, a, a response that I think naturally happens to a lot of people. You just shake uncontrollably, but I'm also like elated because I, I, I've achieved the thing that I wanted to achieve. Like I gave birth unmedicated. She came out. I pushed her out. There was no unnecessary interventions. She's healthy. Like I'm holding her. Everything is good. So I'm like elated, but also like there's just so much going on and there's so many decisions you have to make. I, in the moment, cause she was like, babies come out, they have like stuff on them. Right. And I couldn't even really see her when she came out because I was turned around. And anyway, in the moment I agreed, some people don't want to give their baby a bath because it's good to have the stuff that they come out with just like still on them. But in the moment they're like, do you want us to give her a bath? I'm like, okay, like sure. So they gave her a bath and then I opted to get the erythromycin eye ointment because some version of eye ointment has been used for newborns since the 1800s to prevent blindness because there's certain like bacteria and stuff that a baby can be exposed to in the birth canal. Um, and it's rare, but um, there's just certain bacteria that if they're exposed to it, then it can create vision problems and blindness, um, which is something obviously I, I want to avoid. And because it's been used, not erythromycin necessarily, but some version of eye ointment, you know, at birth, for hundreds of years, I felt comfortable with that. And I also like, in case there was some kind of bacteria that she was exposed to, like it was something that I, I felt like was a smart thing to do. I didn't get the hep B injection because that's a STD that I don't have and she doesn't have it. And maybe later in life, but for a newborn, I just feel like it's a little bit heavy handed and really controversially, I did not get the vitamin K injection either. I'm doing oral vitamin K supplementation because if you're not familiar um, newborns are born with very low supplies of vitamin K, which is a blood clotting agent. Vitamin K is produced naturally by adults from good bacteria in your gut. So things like sauerkraut, probiotics, whatever we naturally produce it. And it's also, it's like, um, K2 or K3 is found in like some animal products and dairy and stuff like that. But newborns are just born with a very low amount of it. And it's very critical in, in blood clotting, especially for the first week of life. Um, but the vitamin K injection, the synthetic vitamin K, I had just done too much research on it. And I don't know. I mean, there's for some people, it's something that I honestly felt really mixed about, but I opted to not get it just because I, I know that the oral dose is less absorbable, but it's something that I feel it's something it's given in Europe. They do oral doses. Um, and the injection of vitamin K is still kind of controversial. Like doctors are split on it. And because she was so little when she was born also, well, she was six pounds, five ounces, but then she dropped to five pounds, seven ounces, like within 24 hours. Cause that's normal for newborns to do. But I just felt like she was so little and it's such a high dose that, um, once I looked at the other ingredients and stuff, and I looked at like the rates of cancer and jaundice and things like that, that might be correlated to the injection. I just didn't feel comfortable giving it to her. Obviously you don't, you want your baby to have enough vitamin stores and stuff. So it w that was a scary decision for me. And I'm still like hesitant about it. You can always get the vitamin K later at a, at a pedi pediatrician appointment, but it was just so much going on at the time that like, I just felt like 
I was like, no, just give her to me. Like she's okay. She's healthy. Thank God. Um, and after that hour, once they bathe them, they do a bunch of tests. They do like a, I think it's like an egg par test or something it's called where they score their reflexes and she scored really well on that and she passed everything else. Then they finally give you your baby back. Um, and thankfully they do all of these tests in the room. So you can see them, you can see your kid, but you can't stand up to go get them or you can't stand up to go watch because you can't stand up for like two hours after you give birth. Um, after they do all of that, then they finally give the baby back to you. And then I kind of hit me. And by that point it was after midnight and I'm laying there with my new baby. I'm bleeding a lot. I'm in a lot of pain still because you still have contractions after birth. And they actually give you more Pitocin after you deliver to help your uter- uterus contract, contract to prevent hemorrhaging, which I don't even feel those contractions though, to be honest, because like it had just been so much going on and so much pain leading up to it um, that I just... I didn't even care, but then I'm finally just laying there and it's like all kind of hitting me. And eventually they took us into the postpartum unit and I stayed there until Sunday morning. Um, we came home on Sunday. I really advocated to get the fuck out of there. They wanted to keep us longer, but I was like, I need to go home. Like I need to sleep. I need to eat real food. The hospital food is terrible. And my mom was trying to go find better food, but like even the Chick-fil-A at the hospital is terrible. Like all of it was bad. Like I cannot recover here. I need to figure out how to use my breast pump because like we could not get a good latch going. I had like no milk in the beginning because maybe because I was induced or something. Like I think my body was in shock. Now I'm doing better. I'm going to do a whole episode about that. But I like, they wanted to keep us for longer. I wanted to leave on Saturday, but, um, there was like a 24 hour test that's required by the state for different allergies and stuff. So they couldn't do that until late Saturday night. And then by the point, by the time that that those, those results were like done and she finished all her other tests, um, which is weird by the way that it's the state like dem- controls what your child can and can't do when it's born in a hospital. It's kind of like when your child is born, it's property of the state and not really property of you in a way. But I just was like, I'm too tired to like fight this. Like you can do the tests, And frankly, it would be nice to know what allergies she has anyways. Um, so by the time they finished that, it was late on Saturday night. And they told me that if I stayed till Sunday, a lactation consultant would come first thing in the morning and the doctors would come to discharge me. Um, which is a whole process in and of itself because they actually put an ankle monitor on your baby. Once you get to the postpartum unit, at least they did at Grady. Maybe it's just Grady because Grady is like kind of ghetto. No offense to Grady. I mean, I say that with love. I gave birth there and I'm so grateful for the nurses. Like I had an amazing experience, but they do literally put an ankle monitor on your child after it's born. And if you try to leave with the kid before you're discharged, the whole hospital goes into alert lockdown mode and all the alarms go off. So being discharged is quite a process. You have to sign a lot of forms. You have to talk to the pediatricians again. You have to schedule your first pediatrics appointment. Like it's a lot of paperwork. It's a big thing. And then they finally cut the ankle monitor off. Um, But by the time we got out, it was Sunday, middle of the day. And it was, it sounds like, I don't know, probably corny, but it was the one sunny day, like every day in Atlanta. Now it's sunny. It's freezing out today on Christmas or Christmas Eve, but every day leading up to it, if you've been in Atlanta, you know, for the last couple of weeks, like it's been so gray and miserable out. And Sunday, last Sunday was like the most beautiful day, the only beautiful day. And that's the day we came home. Her middle name is Sunday, but I'm calling her Sunday anyways. Um, her first name is Audrey, which I picked really haphazardly. Like I, it was on my list. And then for some reason, when the social security lady came in, it was just like, I felt like it had to be Audrey. I don't know. Anyway, 
I just, I was so happy that it was a Sunday. It was sunny. Her name is Sunday. It just felt like it made so much sense to me. Um, and we've been home ever since I left to go to Walmart quickly and left the baby with my mom a couple of days ago, but cause I just needed to pick up a few things. But even that was like, it felt like it was too much right now. Um, just physically, like I felt kind of just a little bit lightheaded and there was like more bleeding after I came home because you have to remember after you give birth, like you have an open wound inside of you still, and you really need to take the time to heal. Um, so I have been, when I was still pregnant, I was like, Oh, the day after I give birth, I'm going to wear a waist trainer and snap back and go on a diet right away. And you realize like that shit doesn't really matter at all right now. Um, when I want to snap back, I will. And honestly, just from breastfeeding alone, I feel like I'm almost back to normal. Like I'm excited to kind of build muscle again in my core, but you will be surprised. At least for me, I'm actually shocked how much back to normal I feel just from like resting and eating and breastfeeding and taking care of the baby. Um, I cannot imagine exercising right now. I cannot imagine even putting on a waist trainer. Honestly, I want to breathe properly. Um, and breastfeeding is a whole workout in itself. Like that shit hurts. They say it's not supposed to hurt. That shit fucking hurts. So I've been pumping a lot just cause it hurts less. And I can see how much she's actually eating. And because she's so small, I feel like it's easier for her too. And I just want her to get as much food as possible. Um, but yeah, I just, my mentality completely shifted. Like I don't give a fuck about a waist trainer at all right now. Um, I can't believe I even brought one to the hospital. Like what a joke. But when I, when I wanted, when I want to get back there, don't worry, we're going to get back there. But for now, um, it's just not, it's not a priority, but yeah, that is how I gave birth. That is the story. All in all, even though I didn't want to be induced, I kind of feel like it, was perfect timing and it really worked out for the better. The benefit of the benefits of the induction is that it did allow me to have quite a bit of control over the situation, not necessarily with how it progressed because there's so much in labor that is out of our control, but at least like knowing that it was happening on X day, knowing like as much as I could about Pitocin and the Foley balloon and different other interventions that they might do to me and kind of listening to my body as much as possible and advocating for myself as much as possible. My mom even said like, I mean, in my medical notes, they, I told you guys, but they said like extremely alert, observant, anxious, whatever. I think they noticed that I was like very much, um, aware of everything. And I very much wanted to be included in every decision. And I wanted to be just, I wanted, I needed consent. Like I needed to give my consent for everything that was going on. But I think once the doctors kind of understood that, my mom even said, she was like, I think they had a lot of respect for you because anytime they kind of said something to me, I would either push back on it or not just push back blindly, but like say why I thought, you know, we should do things my way. And that could have gone, you know, one of two ways. Ultimately, you have to know when to listen to doctors. Like if they had told me the baby's heart is really in distress, you need to C-section. Of course I would have done it. Like, of course. But Thankfully, it never got to that point, and I was able to listen to my body as much as I could and successfully have more or less the birth that I really wanted. And in terms of pain medication and ways that I coped with just all of the whole labor process, which essentially was three days, um, which is really long, <laughs> really, really long, uh, over 48 hours of contractions and a day of the Foley bulb, which is you know quite a bit of pressure and blood and stuff. So three days of labor, um, induced labor. The way I coped with it is I studied hypnobirthing before, which is kind of just like breathing techniques and reframing pain in your mind is something that's like 
well, at least reframing contraction pain in your mind is something that's, you know, a good thing and almost like waves that come over you and not even really labeling it as pain, but labeling it as like pressure or waves. And I know that it sounds like a bunch of hoopla, but for the sake of this podcast and for the sake of communicating with doctors and nurses and stuff, I did still say pain and contractions, obviously. But in my head the whole time while I was going through labor, I wasn't thinking, oh, the pain. I was thinking like, this is a wave I need to relax into. This is like, uh, like a cycle that's coming over me and it only lasts for a minute and I can do anything for a minute and I, and to breathe through it and then to rest between contractions. Like it really, really helped me more than the breathing techniques of hypnobirthing because honestly in the moment, the intensity is just so high that like, I don't really give a fuck about breathing through my nose for five seconds and then out for six or whatever. But the awareness of my breath and breathing the way that it felt that felt right for my body really helped. And hypnobirthing really gave me that awareness of breath and just how much breath can actually help you. So I'm grateful for that. And it also just seeing other women practice hypnobirthing in labor because I watched a lot of like YouTube videos and TikToks, just them actually doing hypnobirthing in the moment. I saw how possible it was to be calm through contractions and reframing what labor could look like from the movie version of like your water breaks and you're at the hospital and you're screaming in pain and you're screaming for that epidural and it's so dramatic to a very calm, serene, intense time, but that doesn't have to be very loud. Granted, it did get very loud when I was pushing because that shit is, for me anyways, I, I could not keep that sound in, but it wasn't a bad sound. It was just like I was letting it out. But throughout the rest of labor, like just reframing, it doesn't have to be something crazy and dramatic. It could be calm. It could be peaceful. You could breathe. And to have awareness of your breath, for me, it was so critical. And then the other pain relief methods that I used honestly, this really helped. Sounds like I I was very skeptical. I'm like, I'm not going to need essential oils. Like I'm not going to give a fuck about essential oils in labor, but I brought a peppermint essential oil and it helped so much. Thankfully I didn't throw up, but because the pain was so intense, I did experience some nausea just from exhaustion. And you know, you're not really eating properly. I was drinking a lot of like coconut water and Gatorade and stuff like that, but it was still just, it was a lot. And the peppermint essential oil really kind of like made me alert and woke me up and calmed my like nausea and it just it really soothed me so I was like huffing peppermint essential oil throughout my labor that was super helpful um and every other pain relief method that's those are pretty much the main two like breath and essential oils and I know that that's dumb also music I brought wireless I brought airpods and headphones like regular wired apple uh, headphones but my airpods saved me because I could just walk around with them I didn't have to worry about a cord and I listened to music throughout almost my whole labor. Um, I listened to like a couple of podcasts. I watched a Twitch stream, um, anything to distract myself and accept every time the contraction came, like just releasing into it and accepting that pain as something that was like a good thing, like a wave. So that really helped me. Um, and actually it helped me more than I was expecting. I kind of, I thought like, oh, by the time the, you know, the contractions come, I'm going to throw out, throw all this shit away. Like it's going to be too intense, but it actually, it, it was worth it to kind of do that research. Um, but yeah, so that, that's it. That's my birth story. That is how it happened. I'm so, so, so grateful that I'm leaving, giving birth with minimal birth trauma, with no birth trauma, like forever, forever fucking grateful for that. Um, And it was really an incredible experience. Like the nurses who listened to me, who dealt with like my bitchiness and my stubbornness, I am forever thankful. I cannot thank, I'll never be able to thank them enough. Um, And even though I was kind of scared to give birth at Grady, because everyone says like, oh, Grady baby, like it's, you know, Grady is the biggest public hospital in Atlanta. It's the 
biggest level one trauma center. It's where the gunshot victims go. It's where everybody goes. Um, and it's the reason people say you're a real Grady baby. Like you're, it's fucking Grady. Like Grady is like, that's the place for everything. I was kind of scared. I was like, I want like, you know, some nice cushy like situation, but it was perfect. And I, it's actually an amazing place. So yeah, that's how it happened. And now she's here. And if anyone is, you know, going to give birth soon or just thinking about what childbirth would be like, I really hope this helps you. Um, Me personally, I was really afraid for childbirth because it's such a big moment in your life. And there's so much birth trauma that happens of just unfortunate situations. But if I can do it, like anyone can do it, honestly. And um, I really hope this helps somebody. Because yeah, I had a really positive experience. I hope it sounds positive. I tried to give the most honest account I could, which was painful and scary at points, but overall it was amazing. And if I could just give any last words of advice, it would just be to advocate for yourself as much as possible, knowing when to be flexible, knowing when to listen to the doctors, knowing like obviously when they said the baby's heart rate is dropping and stuff like that's serious. And I'm not just gonna be like, it's fine, but just knowing when it's a give and take, you know, it's a give and take. And if it, eases your anxiety to be educated going into birth like it did for me do that if it helps you to not know anything and just go in and be like this is going to be a good experience do that whatever works for you works for you and it's possible to have it, it's really really possible to have a great unmedicated induced labor I never thought I would say that but it is possible and I'm just forever grateful so um yeah next episode I'm probably going to talk more about this whole motherhood thing, but for now, that is it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, It is Christmas Eve still, and we will be back. I will be back. Not we, it's just me. Why am I acting like it's plural? But soon, soon. If there's any motherhood topics that anyone wants me to specifically talk about, um, just let me know. Message me or something. But yeah, good night.